0: Because I knew, as soon as it was over, the biggest thing with me it was same thing after that bridge, and same thing after sometimes in the fire department. Where just you think to yourself, "I'm not gonna like tonight," because you're gonna be thinking about what, happened, what could have happened. And you know they do in the PTSD. Listen, yep. that's not what happened. Here's what happened. You survived. You're here. Now we move on. And that's what was happening to her. So I didn't hear from her for a few days. Then she friended me on Facebook. And then what I did was I waited a little while. I sent her a te- I sent her a, uh, an email. I said, "Hey, listen." I know what happened to me on that day. Why don't you tell me what happened to you, dude? It, she pours it out. And, she, and then she sent me a second one saying, oh my God, that feels so good. I've been drunk. So dude. that was her debrief. Yes, she'd been wow. going crazy. And I kind of felt it, dude. She goes, listen, I've been thinking about all the... Because listen, she was close, man. She was breathing in the air pocket. One little tweak and it was over. And and you know, and, 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 and even in her, in her, in her, e- in her uh, email, she said, I said to myself, certainly I'm yeah. not going to drown. Almost, you know what I mean? Like, this can't happen to me.
1: Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And in this episode, I sat down and talked with Brian Rothell. He's a retired firefighter from Chesterfield, my old department, who probably has the distinction of having more life saves off-duty than he ever had while he was on duty. Brian also has an interesting career as a contract firefighter serving a couple of tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, as well as an accomplished kite surfer and outdoorsman. Ran into Brian again just uh, last weekend on the river. Uh, where he was again pat, on his paddleboard with his dog uh, down on the James. So uh, enjoy this episode 48 with Brian Rothell. Oh no, I'm great. I can there. hear it
0: really nicely. Cool. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> what do you
1: What do you want to talk about? What do you not want to talk about?
0: Are we talking now? Or? Yeah. Oh, we're, okay. record um, button's going. I don't know. It's uh, it's 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 your podcast, but I'd I'd be interested. What inspired this for you to 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 start doing this? Uh, and, uh the uh, you know the. I've been wanting to do a podcast. I'd wanted to do a
1: podcast for a while, and I'd listened to a bunch of them and heard some. And uh, there's a couple of my followers that talks about, you know, one of them's a military guy. He's Jocko Wilnick. He I, l- I like Jocko. Him. I hear him on, on Rogan. I, Dude, I have met the man twice, and he is yeah, freaking phenomenal set. He did in his career. I'm like, you know, that'd be kind of cool for the fire service. and
0: I think you're on to something and, uh, with that. Kinda that's,
1: yeah. That was kind of the root of it. And then uh, ran into Henry Rosenbaum one day, and he talked about uh, uh, R.C. Dawson, Henry. Uh, he, the chief in Henrika who started the hazmat team. He took him to buy it. He had been retired for years. Yeah. And took R.C. by the fire station to visit the hazmat team. Yeah. And uh, nobody there knew him. No, no no nobody knew who he was until they figured out oh you're that guy and he's the yeah that's, and that's interesting now nice. proceeded to hold court for a couple hours and I went ah that's the that's it get get the get the crew that's
0: you know it's, it's retired and going out and <laughs> it's a great idea because isn't it funny we think back to when we were hired in 1988 and they actually issued us uh were those boots they called them you pulled them up the hat three-quarter boots three qu- of course because yeah. they came three quarters the way up your leg but uh riding on the back of an r model mac which Dude. i think a lot of people still enjoy <laughs> we still, we started in the same place were you at were you two or twelve uh, i was not at twelve yeah. right? I, I, just for a short time on that r model but yeah i remember that and it's amazing but how how much it's changed and how quickly you think about when we wanted to send out a message to mass media perhaps and within our own fire department carbon paper yeah remember that I do. they didn't have yeah. copying machines you know yeah. but then uh it's changed so much in, in the technology so it's now it's
1: emails and text messaging twitter uh, social media company officer's
0: life has gotten a lot
1: harder <laughs> <laughs> this is true this is true well let's uh let's go back to, to your story uh you know again the part of this is telling stories of the people who were there how did how did you get started in uh, in the fire service i know i remember a little bit about it, or at least i think i
0: remember about it but how'd you get there uh, well, you know, honestly, so I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. My father was a police officer, so I always wanted to be a cop until maybe my junior year in high school. I uh, uh, wasn't a very good student. The English teacher <laughs> slid me a copy of the report from Engine Company 82, probably to get me to <laughs> shut up. And uh, then I had a quandary because I was like, man, I really I, I just recently gave this book to a young man too to inspire him to perhaps uh, become a firefighter. Um, but I, um, uh, I read that and I was like, wow, now I want to be a firefighter and a police officer. So, f- you know, fortunately I went into the Marine Corps, got out, came down to Richmond from Rhode Island, became a Richmond police officer, which you remember the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Frank Chin has been on your show. I worked he in Gilpin yeah. court with Frank when he was a medic and he probably, he probably thought he was back in Vietnam back in the well, 80s. When did, when did you come to Richmond? What year 1986. I went to 90. the police academy in 1986 in the basement of the mosque. Um, but you know, police work. Uh, doing a whole podcast about, yeah. <laughs> about, about what it was like in Gilpin Court and working in the projects. But um, it was a hard job. So that, I, I, I lived in Chesterfield, and I saw the fire apparatus driving around. I said, well, you know, I remembered en- Engine 82 and uh, took the test, got hired. Uh, and I was in that school, I guess, uh, school number tw- 19, 20, where they hired, like, a lot of people. Yeah. I think that was the first initiative to do, uh, a four-man engine companies?
1: Yeah, that's when, I think that's when it started. I got hired in 83, in, what school uh, were you? 17? Thirteen. Thirteen, okay. No, fourteen. Okay. We were the fourteen. That was uh it was five of us. So uh Oh, that was the small school. We, yeah, yeah I was think a, I
0: seen a photo of John Paul Jones. JP, yeah, JP and Florida. Kevin McNamee and <laughs> it's at the front gate. There. Yep. It's the I remember that sign was wonderful. It was the uh, it said the Chesterfield County fire training and research Facility. In research, that's right. It was <laughs> and you could tell the research was probably pretty high level stuff because that sign was made with a router, I think it's that yeah, right? right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, high tech back in <laughs> high tech back in the '70s and '80s. It was more analog than. <laughs> yeah. So what did? Uh, how long did you spend in the Marine Corps? I did four years, and uh, I worked on aircraft. I was a hydraulics man. I worked on the A4. Uh, anybody remembers the Falklands War? I remember they starred in that? They used the, the Argentinians used A4s to bomb that ship, uh, uh-huh. and It hurt the British quite uh, quite bad. But I, I found my way into uh, helicopters, and I ended up being a helicopter crew chief, which
1: he you know, actually flies a helicopter. No, I was a,
0: I, I worked on it and okay. maintained it and flew with it wherever it went. But still, for a 19 year old high school dropout, that was pretty you know That's pretty, pretty good stuff. Right. Be wearing a flight suit and uh, you know I thought I was pretty cool back then. So
1: uh, you say you went to number 12. um What was life like in uh, Etric, uh in the days? Ettrick's being kind of the Southern part of Chesterfield County borders up against Petersburg, and we've had we've had some conversations on here about fires in Petersburg over the years. But the, right, what was life like in Ettrick back in the late '80s?
0: Well, you know, Ettrick has a lot of history, of course, as we know. I think that where Chief Ean started, out yep, was down. That's where place. he was a volunteer. His dad, his dad,
1: was actually a founding, not a founding member, but a, a leader in that organization many, many, many years ago. And
0: a lot of really. Um, Memorable characters came out of Station Twelve, <laughs> the Goose. Who was was that? Your ship was. <laughs> it was. I was down. I was sent down there. Was Matt, Matt Strauss I remember, I remember that. Matt. I still talk to him probably almost every day. Oh, Lives man. in Kentucky right now, working in a sheetrock factory. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I, um, I was down there. It was a uh, Goose. Was the uh, was the ca- I guess the lieutenant. I wish would be the captain. <laughs> Goose. Now. Yeah, let me <laughs> tell you <man>. something. <laughs> it's a funny guy, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. I guess you always knew that when he said, I'm not lying, lying. Uh, a lie was was coming, Uh, but it was Goose, Tom Jones, Jones. um, Chuck Jones, Glenn Poole. Yeah, we were a cast of all-stars it was it was slow back then too you know i mean yeah. when i, when I when some of these young guys i can i can remember when i first got hired one of the companies i think it was three i was at 11 they had a shirt mix i think they broke 500 calls for the right. year yeah now now dude if they send you somewhere where they do 1200 you're happy because yeah you're that's slow, slow. that's <laughs> slow but 500 was big and now i don't even know how high they go you were a chief recently so i guess they some of these companies are really. Yeah, I don't know down. what
1: they're doing station by station, but I know that uh, you know ten and twelve calls a day
0: on particularly on the medic getting getting out of the ordinary for those guys. I don't know how. I think a twenty five year career is going to be a real long. Sometimes a BLS provider I can pick up on maybe that a paramedic's kind of looking too far ahead at, but i um, not. I didn't think it was my um, in my in my wheelhouse so to speak, or I didn't have that. I don't feel like I really had that aptitude to to to, to carry the day, you know. And I always admired the guys at the DL, especially you were flight medic, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. That, that's ladies, that's, some, yeah. that's some hard stuff right there. I'm sure because when yeah. you guys go somewhere, when they, you know you know there's going to be an emergency on the other end.
1: Yeah, there weren't many stub toes you picked up <laughs> at <the> two o'clock in the morning. So did you? Did you ever find that yourself uh, missing the police work uh, in the fire department?
0: Or listen, I still dream about it. Isn't yeah. that weird? I still dream that I'm a police officer. Sometimes it was intense, and I, and to be honest, I really kind of liked it. And if you look back at that show, Cops, when it first started, it was kind of raw, you know, and it, and it really did show what it was like to be a police officer, which is hard, you know, especially today. With body cameras and cameras everywhere. And I know the police take a, take a big rap, but, you know, especially, I don't want to say to my liberal friends, but to any of my friends that may be critical of police officers, I just have a really simple thing. Why don't you go be one? Yeah, try it. Yeah. Go try it. And I love it if you say it sometimes, maybe to a girl, or she's a small. but I'm just a, you're just a what? You're just a girl, because you know what? (laughs) There's lots of girls out there, and there's little ones just like you. And it takes a quite a quite a bit of courage to put that uniform on and go out and do that job, you know, because you never know what you're going to see or get into. And you know, I um, I got to see quite a bit, you know, in in my time as a cop. But it but it also, it um, fire department burns you out in a different way and stresses you in a different way. And I think in the police department, you deal with a lot of. uh, I would think about it, I was, I was young, I was like 21, 22 years old, and I was carrying around a, a pack of Tums and Rolaids in my pocket, you know, because I had this terrible heartburn all the time. Because, and I used to think to myself, because it's fear. I mean, you have, you have re, very real fear when you're a yeah. police officer, because, I mean, you do studying jujitsu right now, and I'm um, not a large person, and uh, you go to a violent domestic dispute in the projects with two people or more in the house, and you're alone, you know, things can go bad real quickly.
1: And, Did you ever hear uh, Keith Chambers' story? When he was a he was a police officer before he came to the, the fire department. He was uh, I,
0: I, I knew him when he was a fireman in Richmond before he became, yeah a, yes yeah. we met a long time ago. But yeah, tell he, me the story. He
1: was at uh, in Bermuda Run, mm-hmm. and it was a, one of those domestic cases. And it was apparently some larger individual picked him up and tried to throw him through the sheetrock wall. And he said it looked <laughs> when he came down and turned around and looked at it it looked like a cartoon <laughs> character had gone through the sheetrock like wildly. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that was kind of one of those things that made, made him decide, hey, maybe this fire department thing again <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> be a bad I can idea. tell you,
0: the two things that were uh, became quickly apparent to me when I was a young police officer, because all I wanted to be was a cop. My dad, I'd hear all those cop stories of Providence, Rhode Island, back in the day. So I finally get to be one, and probably on my first couple of nights I realized one thing. I came out of the police academy in December. Number one is police work is really boring in the cold weather. There was nothing <laughs> going on. And the second thing was this. The field training officer told me, he said, listen, we're going to go on some domestics. We're going to do some things over these next couple of nights. I don't want you to say nothing. We go in on a call, you just shut up and act like you're not even there. Just watch how I do it. And he was like probably a 38-year-old guy, which is an old guy, to me back then and he didn't look like much but i earned a lot of respect for him like we went on this violent domestic it was i can still remember in in Gilpin court where i ended up working actually as a police officer uh, full-time it all i can remember is my my legs were shaking so bad that when i looked down at my pant legs i could see them moving and i was just hoping that they wouldn't start making any noise like (laughs) rippling in the wind and i and if if i would have had to do something i don't think i would have been able to even say anything so with that in mind, I had to go over the next few nights knowing that pretty soon he was gonna to turn to me and go, Hey, you're in Your charge. Turn. And when it was, I felt like it was an out-of-body experience. I could hear this booming voice coming out of me and I was taking control and I and I remember after the incident, he goes, Man, you did a good job and I I was beaming. I was like, Well, I think I can do this. But it's scary, man. And you know, a lot of it's just acting, you know, if you just kinda and, and then the other thing is after you've been out there for a while, you just learn people. You know, they talk about community policing today. It's been done for years, you know. These cops working in these tough beats everywhere. The, the name of the game is to get to know people. Yeah. You know.
1: it's all, all happens in the streets, individual to individual. That whole, um, you know, when I went to law enforcement school in the, FM, the fire oh, marshal's office, right. yeah. and, uh, yeah. they talk about the, you know, that, <laughs> that continuum of force. And that first thing is the mere presence and your ability to use, whether it's using your voice or using your body position or yeah. using your stature <clears throat> to say, I'm in charge here. And, and everybody needs to calm down because we're going to deal with this issue yeah. or whatever whatever the situation is. It's not it's not that you've got the badge on. It's how, your attitude
0: toward the people you're dealing with. And I think something, you know, when this cop, he was funny. He told me some funny things. He, two of the things that always stuck out in my mind, he, and, it, and it meant a lot. He goes, hey, remember, I want you to remember something out here. He, this is not Cops and Robbers. This isn't Hill Street Blues, which was a popular <laughs> show at the time. Goes, you can get killed out here. And, um, you know, I, I always seem to remember that, you know, j- just to uh, – always know that you know some, something back bad can happen out here and i think that it, it actually ends oh, up i'm sorry and the second thing I was, I was forgetting it but the second thing to him is very important he goes remember something every engagement you have with a person out here there's there's at least one gun involved and it's true your own and and you know when you when you go to work a lot of people can't and you know maybe a lot of firefighters hearing this or just maybe people that have never done these jobs when you put a gun on it almost feel like a, some, you know, in your little child's mind, you, pick, you sling that belt around and you strap it on. It's almost like a, you're like some kind of old West guy. Put, <laughs> Honey, I'm going to put my gun on and go to work. It's, it's, it's odd when you think about it, yeah. that you'll be carrying a gun to go to work.
1: Well, how much of that, 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 that mind, call it mindset training, the, the awareness of your presence being part of the, the equation, how much of that translates, do you think, or did translate from the police car
0: to the fire truck or ambulance? uh a lot especially the training and there's a couple of there's one instance that sticks out in my head as far as training is concerned and i and i actually got to use this example in afghanistan with my the chief i had there and i ended up having the same chief in iraq um <clears throat> but as far as that training is concerned uh and how it how it transfers over you know in, in the fire so we, we train the same way we we're, we're going to go fight a fire so, I mean, uh, the story that I had heard, and it's it's valid, I just watched a little short mini documentary on YouTube about it. It was these four California higher patrol officers that got murdered by, um, by, by these two guys back in the day, back in the 70s. And uh, you know, four California patrol officers killed by two guys. Shocking. They got in a gunfight. It was a real gunfight. It lasted a while, and four guys, four police officers were dead at the end of it. But when they, I guess, autopsy took the guys' uniforms off, they found they had shell casings yeah. in their pockets. You know the story yep, then. Okay, yep. so... You know, and in, in Iraq we would start to do, or or in Afghanistan we would start to do something without our masks on. I go, hey, you know what, Chief? Of, uh, I said maybe we should always use our masks. The contracting was a little bit different. A lot more things they did better than than we did, and we did a lot more things better than what they did. But I said maybe we should be wearing our masks and masking up and getting ready for this because it, it would be important. And just a couple little things like that. Um, but yeah, the um, yeah. So that just so everybody knows that that story of the shell casings in their pocket
1: was uh, yeah. they were shooting revolvers, and when you go to the range, when you shoot at the range, you empty your brass into your hand, put it in your pocket so you don't have to clean it up off the deck. And that's what they did in the real gunfight because that was muscle memory and, and that's what exactly, they did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and so was,
0: did you ever hear that story that Petey Hypes would tell I've heard a bunch of P. Hype stories, but yeah. Well, one about me. I was a rookie. <laughs> I was working for, with Hatton Bottoms and Low at Old Station Number 11 and I had, I went to a mini academy, Chris Harrell and I seven days with Paul Newton teaching us and, then they throw us out for OJT, and it was Go a get great. Them. Wasn't it great? Like when I was in drill school, I could work overtime because I'd been out in the field for oh, six man. months. So it was kind of all oh, that's gone now. But um, we went to an alarm activation. We pulled up in front of this house somewhere over there in Company 11's first do, and I was on the street about five days. I had my air pack on. I jumped off and started walking into the yard. And suddenly, over the radio, it said, "Also be advised, there's a, a burglar alarm activating at the at the place." <laughs> well, suddenly a guy ran out the ran through the front yard and ran to the backyard and I started to chase him. I had full air pack, and (laughs) I caught him. There's some muscle memory. (laughs) Exactly. That was that muscle memory. I'm thinking foot pursuit. And I remember Petey behind me going, Brian, you're not a cop anymore. (laughs) Turned out it was the homeowner, Fortunately, Oh, no. Did you tackle him in the back? I didn't tackle him. I I might've put my hands on him a little bit. (laughs) But it was a kind of a funny story. But that was that thing. You get in this muscle memory because when you're a police officer suddenly like, I remember when the first time you get in a foot, like you, you, you you say to somebody, you got a warrant under arrest. You're going to turn and put your hands behind your back. They turn turn around. They they don't turn. Yeah. They turn around and they (laughs) run. And then, and it's so funny that the first time it happens, he's like 20 car lengths away from you before you go, Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to be chasing you. (laughs) Uh, But uh, those foot pursuits, another fun, just tell a quick funny thing about foot pursuits. I used to, be running through Gilpin Court at 2 o'clock in the morning maybe chasing somebody that bailed out of a stolen car or something. And whenever I'd catch them, I'd automatically have a big, Crowd around me, and I would be like, How am I? I? have a big crowd around me, there's nobody out here. And then, uh, this older cop, I told him the story one time. He goes, Hey, next time you're chasing somebody through the projects, he says, Look behind you, <laughs> and they're
1: chasing you, <laughs> yeah, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the whole every time you pass a little cr- crew, they, they they start chasing by because they no want to see what happens when you catch
1: them. <laughs> well, nowadays they're carrying cell phones and video, in the whole, whole oh, which,
0: ma- which makes it horrible. I, yeah. I don't know if this is a, what do you think is this, uh, how much has this impacted the fire department? I think we've always carried a pretty good reputation, and that that's what drew me to the fire department. I think yeah. they weren't shooting at you when you pull up, or throwing bottles. They were yeah. happy to see us. Well,
1: yeah, it was. It was a different kind of mindset. You know, the fire fire department guys were always, you know, happy to, you know, like you say, happy to see them. When the police got there, at least somebody was not going to be happy that they were there. And that's kind of always the different different mindset. But um, I think that you know, overall, I think public the public view and whether it's social media or cameras, it's. Uh, uh, a little bit tighter scrutiny, different
0: scrutinies. Oh, you know. my God. You mean a, a concerned citizen yeah. called, and he's going to have video. <laughs> the <laughs> the ever-popular concerned listen, citizen. Then, yeah. now, now I guess if you're a lieutenant and the chief calls, and says a concerned citizen call, say, well, show me some video. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I've, I've had John Crosby on here. We've talked about it. It's a good thing they didn't have social media and cameras on t- cell phones back then because probably half of us wouldn't have had a job. The tank lot would have done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Number four was always <laughs> a topic, yeah. Well, what about what the uh, goings-on in Chesterfield did you see? Did you, see you know, um, you talked about that alarm activation with Mike Hatton and company and chasing the, the homeowner. What, what are the kind of calls that you ran while you were in Chesterfield that kind of stick out? And I you always tell people there's always those kind of calls. You were you were glad you were there because it was a good team effort and it was fun. Uh, calls that uh, made you laugh in some way, shape, or form like you <clears throat> chased the homeowner thinking, <laughs> like, thinking <laughs> yeah. it was a
0: burglar. Well, I'll think on the fly as I um, bring out this one. Uh, Old Buckingham, the first one. Yeah. <clears throat> I happened to be there, and um,
1: it was a ninety-three. It four? just had
0: an anniversary recently. Yeah. I think like twenty-eight years or so many years. It's hard to think yeah. that it could be that, that that long ago. But going out from Station Seven on that. Just, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. <clears throat> pull it just a little bit closer. You, you can going you. Uh, yeah. going out on that uh, on that call, leaving Station Seven. I don't know. We're eight to eight miles, maybe away from it. But to see that. the 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 light in the sky the glow the glow in the sky to see something that big i don't know if you were there that night. i
1: think i'd gone to hanover by that Mm. time i would either just gone to hanover or had been there for a while but i i you know i still had friends there and i certainly heard about it
0: (laughs) but but so on a funny note that if you know Chesterfield people listening to this would enjoy it and then maybe people that can relate to it from other departments That has everybody has a guy in their station that, that guy that guy that he wants to like I mean who wants to miss that call right. Like, I, I, I was victim of that one time when the they had a big Petersburg fire when I was at 12 and I missed it but I had been at Buckingham so I had that one in my pocket but Chuck Jones <laughs> was detailed to station 3 oh. and was on the ambulance that night and it might have been the only piece of apparatus that didn't find their way up <laughs> to that floor. and I'll never forget when we all got off that morning we were heading back you know you you've gone you've been the m- most biggest incredible fire of your life you're stoked beyond belief you can't wait to get off and go have some fun we're coming down in the van and they, there was chuck driving in his pickup truck waving at us he just looked <laughs> so forlorn looked like a kid he just missed his <laughs> he just missed, missed recess <laughs> he just missed it all but no being at something that big was was actually pretty incredible yeah. you know and um to to witness that i mean i guess it would remind you of one of those uh people in the northeast and those factory fires that you sometimes see go up yeah it's
1: probably but, probably one of the few major i guess that was yeah. before the days we called them second and third alarms we yeah. call special special call specific units but uh probably three alarm worth uh of uh, people and equipment on the scene by the time it was all said and done.
0: Yeah, we. I, <clears throat> I, was, I guess I was. I was pretty fortunate. It, I, I got to go to a lot of fires. Isn't it funny the public's perception of of, of us as a firefighter because I was doing triathlons. I remember we did them yeah. together. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was that's a lot that's, of fun.
1: that's one t- topic we can't talk about on here. Triathlon. Me and the speedo, it? <laughs> I didn't bring the picture. No, by thank you. Good for that. No speedo pictures. <laughs> hey, but you know what? You look. Back when you looked damn good back in, in the day. day. Back
0: in the day. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but. <laughs> Remind me that you've had Terry Newcomb on the on the show. and the, <laughs> uh, uh, Remind me to tell he's the only person in the history of the Chesterfield Fire Department that ran his own call. Yeah, he talked that about that. Probably, yeah, he talked about that. I remember stories, and that's one of the, <laughs> my top ten maybe. Um, but um, thinking of calls that, uh, that, that stick out, I, I probably should have done a little bit of a deeper dive in my mind uh, before I came out. I started to go down a road somewhere with that. I can't remember what I was going to say, but we'll, we'll pick we'll, something. up. It'll else. come up. Yeah. That, that's the best thing
1: about this. There's no script. so uh, Yeah, that makes it kind of right nice, there. too. What about, uh, you talked about that one police officer that was your first FTO in Richmond. Yeah. Uh, what about folks in the department who were kind of, that you looked up to as, hey, you know, they, maybe they're doing it right, and that's the way to. they kind of maybe gave you the right coaching, mentoring, or you learn from somewhere along your career there.
0: You know, I, I got I think I got really lucky because I worked for Mike Hatton right there that old station number 11. That was a nice assignment. He was a nice guy, knowledgeable, went went high in the ranks yeah. like you as well. Um, <clears throat> but he uh, he was smart and he and he really knew the fire service and he really he taught me a lot. I can't remember <laughs> Being a stupid rookie, this is a good one. So, like, <laughs> they sent me to that EMT school, and I think I met Rosenbaum back then. Maybe. It was Gary Musselman taught it. it was, yep. was he a guy? Yeah. He was in Henrico, yeah. Yeah, he taught it, and then we went out there, Harold and I, and a few Richmond guys were out there. But um, we had a motorcycle accident there on Cogbill Road, and we had, you know, the big orange tackle boxes yeah. we had. And I guess we didn't bring the one that had the 4 by 4s in it or something. <laughs> Mark Lowe said, Go get a 4x4. I said, I went and got a 4x4. Four four. <laughs> Big piece of lumber? Big piece of 4x4 four four lumber and <laughs> chalk that. I guess I was going to chalk that I was going to chalk her wound. <laughs> Not but, that 4x4. But, but funnily enough, they don't know that because as I walked towards them, I did think, to, wait, you dummy. I didn't get the 4x4 four four pad. But well, that is funny. 4x4. Well, four four. Yeah. I know
1: you've told on yourself, so it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I got a few more. <clears throat> yeah,
1: Mike was... Uh, he got me in the fire marshal's office and uh, through, my, I guess, my own fault. He was my he was my battalion when I first got promoted, and he went to the fire marshal's office from uh, from the south end. Yeah. And I stopped by the office one day. Hey, man, tell me about this lieutenant's position in the fire marshal's office. Talked for 45 minutes about what it was. And yeah. I said, all right, well, who else put in for it? And he got nobody. I'm well, that's like, oh, like, not anymore. But I saw the writing on the wall. I said, so uh, what are you going to do if uh, nobody puts in for it? He said, I will reach out and grab somebody so you got it well i guess okay how are you going to make that decision you said oh, we'll probably grab the, the people somebody who may express some degree of interest okay. in it and i'm like all right how many people have done it he went one and looked right at me and i'm like oh
0: <laughs> okay you're in <laughs> there you're, it was you're in. Yeah, i guess that's my commitment huh boss i would uh when you mention that i, I would ask you the question uh, and you can make the comparison but i think one thing that i would have is appealing about the police department is you can go to a lot of different divisions. You can be in patrol. You can be in K9. You can be in a task force patrol. You can be a detective in like nine different divisions within detectives. You could do a lot of different things. <clears throat> you could ride horses in the fire department where we operations, or I guess you can kind of go to the prevention office.
1: Yeah. Even at that, you know, you do prevention training, logistics. That's that's um, true too. So they do. You know, have, there's, uh, <clears throat> and even within that, you know, you'd be a, uh, you know, go medic, tactical medic, uh, now they've got community paramedics. Um, you know, If you want to go day work, there's uh, some other day work opportunities you know, I, out there, and particularly in our, our department that's big enough that they had kind of that diverse of, diversity of positions and
0: position types and things well, like that. Well, it, the reason I like to talk about that, and I like to bring up that community medic thing as well because I've recently heard about that, and I love that idea. Uh, but I, I've been recommending to young people a lot, man, join the fire department. You know what I mean? Because it seems to me it's the last place. One of those like, <clears throat> you know, you meet these people out there, these guys out there. They don't really fit anywhere. You know, they're kind of wild, but they, you know they haven't been in trouble. They got a driver's license, and um, you know that that type of person that probably would have volunteered to do the Pony Express back in the day. So yeah. we don't really have these type of opportunities. I think the fire department and the police department are kind of the last, and the military. You know, and, they, and it, it is just to get out and do these jobs that. They're going, to, they're going to present you something different every day, and it's, it's going to be an adventure. But you mentioned the community medic program. I, this is where they – how does that work? Uh, it's been a while since I talked to them, but I know they've got a, uh,
1: three or four people on day work. Who uh, really uh, they called them uh, loyal customers? You and I would have called them frequent flyers. No, back we in the would have day.
0: called yeah. them non-compliant diabetics. <laughs> yeah. that, that too. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very specific <laughs> diagnosis, and I know who you're talking about there. Yeah, <laughs> but I uh, think they sent one guy, and didn't they get him a what do you get? What do, what do, you, what do you transplant? Yeah. Transplant or yeah. a what? A gallbladder, a spleen, spleen, or something? Spleen. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> It was good money. It was pan- pancreas, Because huh? we we ran the wheels off two three hundred twenty five thousand dollars analyses <laughs> for two patients in Fourteenth <laughs> District. Yeah,
1: yeah, we knew them all. A, it was a great
0: investment. Uh,
1: no, yeah. So they they deal with some of that, um, yeah, and they is... they're kind of like they they wind up being more of a coordinator of resources because they, what they were finding out is that person who lived in that trailer park or that run down home yeah didn't have access or didn't know about some other social service program out there that would help them with their medicines or their food to keep good nutrition <clears> up <throat> or to take care of their house and
0: you know they were kind of that
1: clearing house of you know it, they, they got in they got to be a problematic patient for the system because that ambulance was going to their house two and three times or more a week and tying okay. up resources yeah and uh, that was kind of the overall goal is to take that person who had that demand and fix the problem and not just take them to the hospital and let them come back I, and go I, back to the hospital. I, the I,
0: I, I want to say that I would guess they're probably having a lot of success with that. And I would be interested to know, you know, how many departments across the nation are doing similar type programs. Yeah,
1: you know, just my travels with work now, It's I, I see it happening more and more. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the opportunities <clears throat> for just community outreach from the department's perspective and Improving healthcare in the field and keeping patients who come out of the hospital out of the hospital. That that the first few days, I think, is um, you know, if they if they're compliant with their medications, if they're compliant with what the doctors tell them, they tend to do really well. And maybe I think they a could, lot of pieces are doing that.
0: Maybe they could come up with a different. Maybe they could come up with a number that, uh, that operates between uh, eleven p.m. and six a.m. Well, nine one two. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> you have a problem them. after eleven? Call nine one two. That's right. Yeah.
1: You don't need. A, you may not need ride to arrive at a hospital, so call nine one two. So, yeah, you mentioned uh, being going to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. So how
0: long did you work for the department? How long were you in this? In this well, it's, it, it's a weird thing with this Afghanistan thing because, uh, you know, I took up that sport kite surfing after uh, yeah. after <clears throat> triathlon. And um, I would travel to different areas, different places. So at the beginning of 2010, if you would have said, Brian, by – December of uh, 2010, you'll be in Afghanistan as a firefighter. I would have never been able to fathom how that would happen, you know, but I was kite surfing in Barbados, saw a kid. He had a t-shirt on, uh, still in contact with him all the time. He's in fact, he's still contracting. He's on Wake Island presently as a contract firefighter, which is a safe spot. Um, and decent money but he said i i I," I go you're one of those contract firefighters i go i'm a paid firefighter he goes man you should you should become a contractor and i said "Ah, i'm old i'm 47 he goes dude there's guys over there that are 60 with beer guts he goes you could do it so we're drinking at the bar when he handed me an email from a recruiter i go back to chesterfield this is three or four months later saturday night station 12. i go let me hit this recruiter up and it's one of those things when you hit somebody up on an email and they hit you back and Less than five minutes on a Saturday night. I'm like, boom. I, I said, Hey, I'm thinking about being a contract firefighter. He goes, Send me your certs. I said, What are certs? He goes, I know your last name. Give me your last four of your socials. I so look up my certs. He goes, You need aircraft rescue firefighter. So to make it quick, I hemmed and hawed for another three so, months. So you're still
1: working in the county. <clears throat> yeah, I was
0: still right. working in the county. So I hemmed and hawed for about three months. And then I said to myself, I don't know what drove me to it, Robbie. I just, cause I'd gone through that divorce and I'd you know, paid child support all those years. So I had a little bit of savings and I, saw this opportunity where I had enough time to retire. I had almost 30 years in the system because they had the buyback. So I did yeah. 22 so you had, actual. you had
1: time, your military time. And, and my police. And the police time, all, so all. I
0: added together. At the end of 2010, I ended, up, I ended up with 29 and a half years, which is a lieutenant salary. So it was going to be a nice retirement. But I, I don't know. It was, it also, I was, I was 47. <clears throat> I'd been in the military. You know, at, at that age, I, we're 57, 59 now, respectively. But I wanted one last adventure, you know, something that was going to be, I don't know. It just seemed like it would be you mean cool a
1: different adventure other than kite surfing in Barbados. Y- yeah, okay. well, <laughs> I, mean, I just want to, just want to qualify that where <laughs> this whole story started somewhere
0: that they might shoot <laughs> shoot rockets at me. No, but honestly so long story short, I, I went to Alabama, I got the, I, the certifications and I remember sitting in station 12 that night, I had the airfare pulled up, I had the it was about going to cost me about 3 grand. It'd take about 3 I didn't have much savings. I this was just
1: three. to get the Just to get the cert.
0: Yeah, it was going to take about half my savings mm-hmm. just to get this thing. So I told myself when you click this button you're, You're going, in. you are, you have to go. So it was this really weird next six months where I got the cert, I applied, they sent me a contract immediately, Panino was there, everybody was looking at it, and all the money and the the bonuses, so it was exciting. And then I got on this waiting list and I told Makara her, so I never really got to celebrate my last day in the fire station, which kind of was dis- disappointed me because I was on this way. Unless I said, "Listen, we could call you anytime. You need to be able to drop everything and go." So I told my, ca- I told the chief, I told everybody, had the letter. So it was or,
1: M- 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 McCarr was he your BC? Was he, he was, he was your, my uh, BC. Yeah.
0: So I, I left work one one Thursday morning after a Wednesday shift, and I got home. And as soon as I got there, she said, "We're going to send you Friday, like the next like day."
1: Wednesday, you pack your bag, get your bag packed. This leaving was two Thursday.
0: Days. And I was yeah. I, I got home Wednesday, and I, you're leaving Friday. So I went straight back to work. I did all the notifications and I turned in my gear and it was an odd feeling, man. Turning in that gear and I, cause this is a big move, right? Wow. And I'm going to a war zone, which I would never been to one, you know, and Afghanistan was doing the buildup in 2010 that Obama sent all those people. That's what inspired this massive hiring they were doing. They were sending me emails with in 72 font that's in red that said, we need people that can deploy now. So I'm like, I'm in, I want to go, I want to do this. But there were a lot of times between leaving and I wasn't going to quit. I wasn't going to back out, but there were some times when I got over there that I was like, what am I doing, man? This is. So what was it? Were you, were you on
1: a military base? Were you on an
0: outpost? What was the, no, well, I ended, ended up on an outpost. <laughs> I ended up, in fact, you know, the story of Bo Bergdahl, when he walked off the post and yeah. he got captured by the Taliban, yeah. he was walking to my base and I was there at that time too. He, he was on a, he was more of like a small checkpoint on the, we were on the right on the we were on the Khyber Pass. He decided he was gonna this is his story. He was gonna walk to Fob Sharana. <clears throat> I was at Fob Sharana. It was in the Paktika province. Sharan was the capital. And there's a lot of funny little things that happened out there. And um, and I'm glad I did. I never regret I'd I'd go back in a minute. Um, and most of the guys I work with are the same. You know, we're like, we have crazy fond memories of this weird place, you know, to to, to live and work. Uh, but I got to we get you get to Bagram first. You go first you go through a, a and it was in South Carolina. You go through a like a training program, and it's about seven or eight days. And they go over all kinds of things. Like it, they have to give this to you. Like if you're captured by the enemy, that you'll do this. You know, what I mean, and this whole. I mean, the the odds are. Was that you, a bit of a wake up call to you? Like, it, holy crap! What, was, what have I gotten myself into and, again? And exactly, and a lot of the people I was there in this program with, we were subcontracted. We were ITT. They were we were providing firefighter services, and and we also did logistics. But we were subcontracting through Fluor. Well, Fluor had stuff in Afghanistan, I mean, excuse me, mostly in in, well, in Afghanistan and Iraq. <clears throat> but so there were a lot of guys that were from Iraq. And like, I will tell it to you like this, how dangerous was it? I can tell you almost exactly how dangerous it was. Take the number of soldiers that were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan and divide the number by two. Because about half that was civilians. Because a lot of people that die on in, over there, it didn't occur off the base. It occurred <clears throat> when they got i.e. in direct fire onto the base. And also it, back in uh, those days they called KBR, which I worked for in Iraq. They called them kill them, bag 'em, bag and replace them because <laughs> 179 truck drivers died, civilian truck drivers. There's some documentaries about that you can watch that are very shocking and riveting, but so that those were the days. It was dangerous for, for, for a lot of these guys. A lot of guys went off the base. I was fortunate we got to stay on the base. Um, mostly what would affect us would be rockets rocket fire would come onto the base
1: so what were you at a, was there a fire station there did you have apparatus were well, you assigned to that so I, you only I, cover
0: the, the <clears throat> base was that your district that you had to serve well here's uh the the, the particular base that i was on um was fob sharana we had three fire stations there were about 75 of us the uh the station out west where i started out it was um tents we, we lived in tents how, the how big was
1: this base is this as big as a okay. small town or is it t- <clears throat> so
0: if you went around the exterior perimeter which was awesome robbie you oh, the road you get out to the west side it was so quiet you could see camels and wildlife it was beautiful it might have been the, around the whole loop of the base might have been about six and a half miles to do the whole loop so i'll give you an idea how big uh-huh. the base was and it was up high on the hill <clears throat> If they ever, I mean, you, they're not going to launch a ground attack anyway, But if they had ever did, it, it couldn't hardly do anything on this base the way it was up on this hill. But uh, and and for rockets, so like they'd be down below us, so they'd, a lot of times they'd shoot them and they'd go right over the top and <coughs> and just you could see them hitting the fact, field on the, the other, other side. side. But every now and again, they would get lucky and hit the base. Uh, fortunately, when I was in Afghanistan, we didn't have anybody killed on the base. Uh, we lost some soldiers that you know off the base.
1: What the, I mean, what what type of call load were you running on the base? Was it in well, response to those attacks, or was there other, other sometimes, incidents sometimes? Oh, on? and I, you
0: know I should finish my uh, the, so uh, I was there as an aircraft rescue firefighter, okay. and in Afghanistan, I'm trying to remember. I don't I don't think they had a civilian fire department in Iraq. I'm, I'm, I don't I should say <clears> that I don't think they had a structural fire department in Iraq. KBR had the mission for aircraft rescue firefighting. That was it. Another company oh, okay. had a, had the contract for the structural firefighting, and those guys didn't get paid anything. They, they, I'm sixty five hundred, and it sounds like a lot of money at first, but when you're over there, <clears throat> you, sixty five a month or sixty five hundred a month yeah, take on? But typically, it's about when it, when the things were hot. It was about ten thousand a month wow. in Iraq. The, there was some five week paychecks and it's a lot of overtime, so you could make a lot of money. And uh, that was the allure in, in some ways as well. Uh, and, and when I took the job over there, I had a few Chesterfield guys actually uh, contact me and want to do it. Wow. And I told them, no, no way. I wouldn't help them do it. Yeah. What kind of aircraft were you servicing? Was it all uh,
1: helicopters? Was there fix-made? a me
0: Afghanistan, we had just about everything. It was a dirt airstrip, but like C-130s and cargo-type stuff like that, helicopters, uh, a lot of... They, were, they flew us back and forth from Bagram to this base on Russian-made helicopters, flown by colombian contractors and i'm guessing these <laughs> colombian contractors had some experience flying in those jungles because the way they flew these things they they knew what they were doing but yeah that was it and we had uh, we had drones on the base so mostly our call volume was uh picking those drones off the side of the runway when they didn't uh, really so something properly and we also had a big one and people could google this you can google this uh, c-130 hit by drone fob sharana or or afghanistan and you'll see it it was wow. uh, they were lucky a dr- and and the c-130 was in the wrong place uh hit the took the motor out you can see photos it's amazing that they were able to get the thing to, to the ground <clears throat> uh fuel was pouring out of that wing it was amazing those they, they call them like flying tanks and the c-130s yeah and the people that were on it what scared all of us on the base was like, we just saw the people they didn't know what happened they, they opened that they dropped that rear gate it was all people just like us civilians like in the army i mean there's three ways they get you in and out because we were like i said we were at a forward operating base we were way out there they you would go in and out on a colombian excuse me a russian-made helicopter flown by colombian contractors a little cessna like I don't know, eleven seater that was or flown like by Caraman. a contractor, yeah, yeah so which yeah, was yeah. the best one, and, and the worst one would be on that C-130 because it was hard to get in and out because soldiers had priority, of course. So you might be ready to get on it at Bagram to come back to your base, and they'd get bumped, nope. you, yeah. day after day. So, and uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, man, it's, I mean, these guys came close, you know. So, how long did you stay in uh, in that? Two club year, a two, two years. Two years.
1: I did stayed. you did you make it back did you was it a 6 months stint, a couple of weeks back home
0: 6 months no, back over you were there for <clears> two solid what, years Well what I did was uh when I first went after my first 90 days I took a break I went to I went to Amsterdam because <laughs> you know I'd been a fire for all those years and I'm like you know I've always wanted to go to Amsterdam and uh you know legal weed and it's a pretty place and it 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 was great it was a real nice place I really enjoyed myself there and um didn't participate in any of the uh, ladies that you'll hear about, um, <clears throat> that they have in Amsterdam and other places. In fact, that's part of the train they put us through, uh, tips training, you know, uh, contractors will know this, as I say, this trafficking in persons. Uh-huh. So they suggest that you do not participate in
1: because that, of the human trafficking component. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And plus just, you know, it's probably not a nice thing, not to the do. cleanest thing <laughs> yeah, morally, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. So, um, Two years, uh, and, and, and what happened was I, I should have stayed. The money was great. I had it made. I had my own room, even though it was a tiny, tiny room. I lived at, I was the only person living at Station One. Everybody else lived elsewhere. I had to commute to work on the bus. I really had it made. But my company had, my, my retirement wasn't going to kick in until, I would say, August of 2013, let's say. So I still had about 15 months before my retirement would kick in. I said, you know what would be a great idea? This company has a contract down a Curacao. And what the Curacao contract is, used to be located in Manta, Ecuador. And what it is, it's the uh, United States government's uh, aircraft interdiction effort to keep drugs from coming out of South America. So all they did was they just moved it from Manta, Ecuador, to Curacao. Curacao. Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao are all there right off Venezuela. So our mission was, again, aircraft. But they were, they were these uh, Air Force aircraft, you know, the ones that go up in the air and they got all those equipment on Radar their, and radars rad- radio surveillance stuff. <clears throat>
1: So our job was, and nobody shooting rockets at you in Curacao.
0: Yeah, and hey, hey, wouldn't it be great to live on an island and, and go kite surfing? Listen, I, I I lasted two days. I put in my resignation. It was a nightmare. I, I it was. Oh really? It, yeah, it was the worst decision I ever made. I was it was a dumb thing. I should have never done it. Yeah, I don't I don't. I should have stayed where I was at because it, the, the morale was poor down there. No one was happy, and you it just. It wasn't anything what I pictured it would be. The but grass it, isn't always greener no, on the other no, side. No, yeah. no, no, that's what That's what I found out. So that, that kicked me down. I came back to the States, and I had to get out of the country mm-hmm. because I was going to be responsible to pay 12500 in taxes because I didn't finish that whole year. And um, the guy said, you know what, just go somewhere. So I went and, just, I went and lived in South America for six months in Peru. Cool. What did you do down there, just... Did you kite, work at all kite, kite surfed or? and I worked I just did some part-time <clears throat> stuff at a hostel I didn't get paid but again it was interesting to find these things out of <clears throat> things that you would think would be a dream come true because I always wanted to I'd kite surfed many different times in many different locations and met so many people in Brazil here or there so you always meet the guy that's like uh, Robbie Dawson he's a, he was a firefighter now he's retired living in Brazil and he kite surfs every day so I'm like I'm gonna be that guy so but rather than sell the house and just do it i had this opportunity i had to get out of the country anyway so i'm like let me go down there and do this and man i'm gonna tell you again there were probably that first two weeks i'll bet you i had my computer open with a flight picked out i'm a, i want out of here I, and why i'll tell you why because i was a because i was scared i'm not, not not really scared for my safety i wasn't no one was gonna hurt me i never never had that feeling but i didn't know anyone it's a it's a little town called mancora in peru it's the pure province if you look at south america you'll see how it sticks out into that that look like
1: Tit at the end, it.
0: you know, it was the very furthest point out. But <clears throat> I didn't know anyone. I didn't speak the language. But I'm glad I stuck it out because that so was kind show, of that
1: isolationism that kind of gets in your I, head. Yeah,
0: and... that. And then I stayed, and you know, within a couple months, I had a girlfriend, and um, I've I had a lot of friends, and they even made me get a cell phone so they could get in touch with me at night. And it was it ended up being such a rewarding experience. But I kind of met some people, uh, quite a few Americans on that trip that ha- had looked. Wait a minute. They didn't look. They, they leaped before they looked. Yeah. They said, let's sell everything and move to, Let's go they'll go somewhere for a week or two weeks. We're in love with the place. We'll buy it. And then they bought
1: it and then wait a minute. We'll, <laughs> two weeks after yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's kinda of cautionary <laughs> to, Maybe any any retire any any out there dreaming of retirement to an island, yeah, rent for six months before you <laughs> that's what I would Give say. Give it a try. Yeah. Test the say, waters. Hey, rent for six months and let's we'll see if you makes six months. Yeah. Because if you unless you have something like Everybody loves the beach, but unless you have like something you really kite surf or surf or something, beach can be, especially, and especially being on an island, you know, you, just, you get island fever, you're kind of trapped. Yeah. But anyway, enough. That's kind of boring. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, heck, you know, I want to get too into, you know, the athletic stuff you've done. Cause I mean, kite surfing, you know, we, we mentioned triathlons and we did that. You know, we who, did a couple of races together, a few events. I remember and, that, man. It was fun. Wasn't it was, it, it was all, and you want to talk about the community that's, um, I loved it. That's, you know, I, I, I kind of – it's a firehouse, that, that shift you're on. It's that family that everybody's out there for the same yeah, goals and triathlons was kind of the same way. And I found that jujitsu is kind of the same way on the mat. And it's yeah. uh, it's that kind of community you get to, with that group. that's kind of that like-mindedness, I call it. And uh, it's really a lot of fun to hang out, hang and, out with that crew.
0: And, you know, what you're saying is it's a recipe for health and retirement. You know what I mean? Because that was a short time I came back from Iraq where I – I got a little isolated myself. <clears throat> and then that COVID thing hit, you mm. know what I mean? So I, but you know, it is, it's getting out and doing, having having hobbies and having different things. And, and, and firefighting is a great job, but it was nice having those, having those things to do on the side. I think that uh, firefighter health and safety is I guess real big now. Yeah,
1: so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're obviously still a fit guy. I mean, I don't know, the other question I got is how you came up with your nickname. Which one? Skeletor. <laughs>
0: you know mike, mike <laughs> there, there mike, may be a
1: few other others out there but that's the one that sticks in my mind
0: Rocco was another one <clears throat> but, but um uh and i loved making those stuffed shells they called them scales shells but uh <laughs> linwood bottoms and mike hatton hung that on me because it was uh he man and the masters of the universe were quite popular <laughs> back then and I, and I was younger so i was fairly muscular and i have a bony kind of funny looking face we're kind of pointy and kind of looks skull like. There <laughs> so it is. Skeletor. <laughs> and it's and stuck it, forever. People still call call me that. It's a Yeah, see I've, seen, I've <laughs> seen it on Facebook every now and then. And it is funny, man. Neat. And that's the fun thing about fire departments with the nicknames and stuff. And I hope that's something that doesn't get lost to our political correctness these days, you know. Well, maybe <laughs> I'll tell you a story one uh, okay. One
1: of the one of the guys t- told me today on the jiu-jitsu match that it's uh, <clears throat> completely politically incorrect, but hey, you'll 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 appreciate. It. I'll tell you that
0: one later, but uh so where else did your travels take you? So you've been... Uh... Oh, so um, so it leads me... I I, I, I did that Afghanistan thing. I uh, finally got to my retirement where I was going to collect it. I remember going to VRS. I didn't trust that. I, I was there. every. I was there talking to them face-to-face. I couldn't wait to get that first retirement <laughs> check, man. Um, but um, I did my thing for a while. I traveled back and forth to Texas. I bought a little... Uh, 14-foot camper so every three months i'd go back and forth to texas because the kite surfing is great down there by the way anybody out there that likes kite surfing or surfing don't forget the third coast there's some nice ways where's that like there. down around brown brownsville A, corpus, or corpus that corpus south coast that uh, brownsville is south padre island texas and if you happen to be in south padre island texas and need some dental work slide over the border to brownsville and I, I can recommend Dennis cause I had. Twenty-two thousand dollars worth of work done recently down oh, there for four grand. Oh,
1: there you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: we got it, got it good. But uh, and the, uh, up in Port Aransas, Texas, which is right outside of Corpus Christi, great surfing, great kite surfing. Did that for a while. Suddenly, uh, the uh, what's the country that's blowing it? Not not Yemen, uh, uh, Syria. So Syria nice. was blowing up pretty big. So what they did was they got the contract going again up in Kurdistan. Remember the Kurds, mm-hmm. Saddam gas, the Kurds, et cetera. It's beautiful up there. My friends were in Kurdistan and they had some bases in Iraq and they're like, Hey man, we're over here. I had like four different friends that I work with in Afghanistan, actually six different guys. And they're like, Hey man, we never get attacked. The money's really good. What's the keyword? 10 K a month. That's, that's what you want to oh, hear. Yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, that's, that makes it appealing. When they have something blow up like that, they need people quick. They make it, they make it appealing pay wise. Cause it's not, it's not comfortable. Uh, they go come over and, I did in 28, I left my dog at the end of 2018. I stayed a year in Iraq. And when I did that, I didn't take one break. I stayed one solid year without a break. Um, But, but something funny that makes me think about that. After my first break in Afghanistan, I ended up staying for like, Fourteen months straight. I didn't. I didn't leave because I. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay there and make the money. And you know who said it was a smart guy and he's very perceptive on things. Mike Panino. He goes, you know what I'd do if I were you and go over there. He goes, I won't take any breaks. I just stay over and make that money. And he was right. I mean, he, he could see that, and, it, and 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 it was some truth to it. But what was funny about it was, you know, you you're on the base, you're in the fire department. We used to have barbecues and invite soldiers, and we made a lot of good friends with those soldiers. And we, you're living in a small town, so you're always working deals. A lot of stuff changes hands through just favors and deals and stuff helping each other like much like a small town but they would leave these soldiers and you'd be sad you know what i mean you'd be just friends you made you're never going to see them again it's like
1: shift change like somebody on your ship getting transferred to the other ship the other battalion the other or they
0: retire and move to south carolina or something um but what was weird like six months later you'd be in the defect and you'd have this girl run up to you go brian i'd see her i'd run what are you doing here she's like they sent us back these son of a (laughs) bitches we were only home five months and they sent us back already (laughs) So that was happening a lot back in the day. They were they were just rotating soldiers back over. The, so much. Now, contractors, we stayed, yeah. and they would they would look at us and they go, what are you still doing here I'm like honey? We ain't left yet. I got guys that I've worked with that have been – I have some friends right now I communicate with almost every day that have been in Iraq. It would blow your mind since like 2008.
1: Now, they've been taking – Straight But I mean, coming back every now, but they that, that's coming been their back, job for 12, that's been 14 their, years.
0: when years. When I say come back on a break, it's usually a 21-day break. So that's – and, and they used to let you have four a year. They've cut it back. They're only giving the guys two a year now. Wow. So it's hard being away from your family and your kids. That's why when some of these young guys ask me in the fire department, hey, man, I want to come over there. Because, Robbie, I met people that had 14, 15 years in the civilian fire departments that blew it all away to go over there and contract. And, man... That's
1: yeah. They drop off that retirement package that close to the end of the yeah. No, just five or ten more years get, in, and you're gonna
0: and you're done. Then you then then you could contract. I mean, contracting has been around for a long time, and it will continue to be. So, it it is a good um, it's a good old lady. You meet some interesting people doing it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's a couple of other things I want to dive into before yeah. uh, before we wrap this up. Okay, I'm going yeah. almost an hour, and like I said, I got, <laughs> I got two and a half more hours of digital no, I don't tape here, but uh, too much time. you uh you. Talking about firefighters being lifesavers, and I think two of the most high-profile lifesaves I've ever seen, or two that you were involved in, and neither one of them were you on duty on a fire department.
0: It's you pretty were wild, uh, huh? Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> blows my mind.
1: It, it kind of around that. I mean, we talk about both of those, but it, yeah. I think it goes to the mindset of the people that are in this job. It's not a. It's not a. I'm on duty, and therefore, that's when I do the job. It's. It's. Yeah. A mindset of. And yeah, as, I see a problem, I'm gonna go fix it. And
0: as so. a as a goof, I got this great shirt. It's black and it's this is firefighter across the front of it. Man, I love that shirt. And you know what? You know, some, the stuff on the back's a little over the top. They could probably take that <laughs> off. But I just like that fire because I've always identified as a firefighter. And and a in a police officer in a way. And and <clears throat> that first rescue, hadn't I been a police officer, I might not have the the training I got in that may not have transferred over cuz i two of those things came into play on the first one cuz the first one was rescuing a guy yeah so yeah trying I'm trying talking to about jump that, that off and the, what year was
1: this 06 06 okay
0: yeah and i will just off duty uh, off duty i'll just tell you the quick i'll try to get it out quick and i'll also tell you the odd things that happen as a result of it um, but yeah so it was off duty riding mountain bikes with a friend uh, buttermilk trail we were going westbound on Buttermilk. You get up on the Nickel Bridge and you go north and you're going to catch the North Bank Trail go back to the parking lot at Bell Island. So we had I we were riding across the Nickel Bridge. Kate and I, a friend, there was a, another guy We was coming towards us. He's a friend of ours, Jimmy McMillan. Uh, I said, Hi, Jimmy. I just rode past him. Well, I got to the other end of the bridge. I look back. Kate's about halfway across the bridge and she's talking to Jimmy. So I'm just sitting with my foot up against the guy rail on my seat of my bicycle and I see this black guy come out of the woods and immediately you know you get that feeling you know hair seeing, on the
1: back of your neck yeah because yeah. he
0: just didn't look good he didn't look right in his face and was like you know, homeless looking and but he just didn't look right so I just watched him walk down the sidewalk he started walking south and towards Jimmy and Kate and I just started spacing out looking into the woods and all of a sudden I heard her Kate scream Brian and I looked and the first thing I thought was where'd that guy go <laughs> and what happened was he was he climbed over the edge of the bridge. Now he was over the railroad tracks because the nickel bridge goes over the James River, but it also goes over some railroad tracks. He was hanging, not hanging, he was standing on the outside of the bridge and he was le- had his hands behind him on the rail. And facing he, away from the facing bridge. Facing away from the bridge, good, and, and leaning out. So I started to glide down towards him and he looked up, he climbed back over. Uh, what I did next probably was what able what made me able to save him because I, I i dismounted the bike i clicked out of the pedals and i dismounted and i had bike pedal i mean bike you shoes were on in. Yeah. so for a split second i thought you know what? i'm gonna grab this guy but then i but he's big you know i thought well wait a minute he's suicidal what if he throws me off the bridge i'm 150 him. pounds he throws me and then follows me so he started to sprint and he jumped he hit the thing with his chest and he went over and i was able to grab his hoodie and i pulled down as hard as i could so now he's on the outside of the bridge hanging down and i'm i've got his Hoodie sweatshirt in my hands and I'm creating a uh, what do you call it when the rope does a half turn? I'm creating just a, kind of bite across. It, yeah, you know, I'm taking the a little bite, point. but yeah. it's not much You know what I mean? I'm holding him and I'm slowly it's slowly starting to put me up because he's about over 200 pounds and Jimmy runs up to me the other cyclist. and He says Brian. What can I do? I said Jimmy lay down on the ground I go get get something grab his pants. He goes. I can't get his pants I, he goes, I got his underwear. I said good. He grabbed him. He gave him this atomic wedgie We secured him kind of he's like the underwear is ripping so some people had been hiking and now they were walking across the bridge. They were from the James river rowing club. They were like, what can we do? I said, everybody lay down, do whatever you can. I said, get a hand on anything you can on this guy. And when they did, I climbed up on the bridge and I started to go over. I was straddling the rail and this is kind of a funny story a guy grabbed me and he goes what are you doing and i and i said i'm, I'm a firefighter and i was like okay <laughs> you, know I mean? like, yeah, right. you know what you're doing but you know how funny firefighters are when i told the story the next day in the firehouse and this i got this from multiple stations because everybody wanted to hear the story yeah. you know it was that commercial was famous back then but a couple of firefighters said hey brian would it have been funny if you go well i'm not a firefighter but i did stay in a holiday no, in express last night <laughs> i didn't come up with that but that's what i loved yeah. about being in the fire service the guys come that up with that brothers stuff. and sisters yeah but look, I got down. I I I kind of shimmy down. I locked my leg on the lower rail, and I got a hold of him. And I asked someone to hand a backpack down, and I was going to loop his leg. Because my idea, Robbie, was there's no way we're getting this guy up. And we had just done that handcuff drill training, getting that person up through the thing. I'm yeah, like, we're not getting saving sca-
1: firefighters, save rescues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm
0: like, we're not getting the guy up, but maybe we can hold him. And if the fire can get can get here, maybe they can get him. Couldn't get him with the with the thing. So I managed to go, I repositioned, I got closer to him and I got him in a headlock with, with one arm and I, I was holding the bridge and with my leg and my arm and I was able to pull him up a little bit more. And I guess you know how it is, like more people could get their hands on him. So then all of a sudden- Better grips. Better grips, but more, more power. So they started to lift him and then more people got their hands all on him and they lifted the guy up. And then probably when he was about like, he was on his way up, he, he kind of started like, maybe he was changing his mind and he started like gripping the thing and kind of helping himself up over and, uh, yeah, that was that, you know, and, um, I ended up, uh, getting a, a, what's called a Carnegie Award. It was started in 1907. People could look at, you know, what that is. It's an award they give for a heroism for civilians. I guess they say it's, uh, I received it, but I also got this, uh, strange award. It was called the, um, I got these, I guess awards from an insurance company. I got an award from the, from the state and I, and I was really happy with it, and it was nice to get these awards, and I felt really accomplished, or whatever. But I was getting kind of sick of a, of going to the ceremonies and stuff. I was over it, and I get this phone call, and it's from DC two hundred two something. But I and I I wanted to ignore it, so I didn't pick it up. I get a call from Chesterfield. It's Chief Graham. He says, Brian, this guy just called from DC. He's from the Department of Justice. He wants to talk to you. I said, What's he? I said, Uh-oh. I said, what's <laughs> What's he want? He goes, I don't know, Brian. He goes, he wouldn't tell me. He goes, call the guy. So I called him up. He goes, hey, man, look, you're getting this award. It's a Public Safety Officer of Medal of Valor. It was established by Congress in 2001, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Just send it to put it in the mail. I didn't know what it was. I go, can you just mail it to me? He goes, he goes Brian, President Bush is going to give you this medal. So he gave me the dates of when it was I was going to go up there to get this medal. And I had already purchased tickets to go kite surfing in Brazil. So I didn't go. <laughs> yeah. I'm I going to Brazil. That's what I did. Yeah. And then um, I felt bad about that for a long time. Then about maybe eight months later, I got a call from uh, the guy that was the uh, in charge of the committee that uh, perused these awards. He was actually the president of the New York City Firefighters Union. And he said, "Hey, I noticed that you didn't get to go to see the president." He goes, if you like, you can go this year with the with the next group. Oh, cool! So it was kind of a, kind of a neat thing, and uh, they the, the president even commented on it. <laughs> he oh, said, wow. He said, "You stood me up last year." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it was funny. Kite surfing was a little more. Yeah, but you're investing. I, 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 I would have. I tell you, I'm, I'm glad I got that a second opportunity because it was neat to to get to go experience that. They flew my mother up from from Florida. Oh, neat! So it was kind of a neat experience.
1: And then the uh, the second one was just here a couple of weeks ago. That's how kind of we got reconnected. I, yeah. I actually thought you were living still in Texas or yeah, on some well, far off uh, I I was Caribbean gonna... <laughs> island or something. But uh, I said, hey, man, are you still back in Richmond? Because I uh, saw you on the news and all the Facebook comments that went out. What uh, what happened? To me? It was Memorial Day weekend. Memorial
0: Day, yeah. River was nine feet. And we were there. And you know, typically people will go out, and, and of course, you you remember on uh, we lost two girls that day. Yeah. They went over Boches Dam and they drowned. So the river was really unsafe, and that. that yeah, so b-
1: Richmond's Richmond's James River is uh, they measured it, I guess, at the downtown gauges, and it runs anywhere from five to six feet during the summer, and that's right. pleasurable levels. Yep. You know, mm. college kids, everybody goes down to hang out on the rocks and kind of lay in the rapids, and when it gets up above six, seven feet, yeah, you know, it's kind of yeah. fun kayaking canoeing and when it gets up in the nine foot nine, range it's it's experts only
0: and it's on the kayaks it's usually experts only mm-hmm. and it's that they don't take the rafts through the hollywood rap. they go to the far side right. because it's really dangerous so we we saw these two people coming down in a double inner tube they they, they didn't have any life jackets on it turns out they had life jackets with them <clears throat> and um i pointed out as a couple of friends i pointed them out there's some young guys i know one of them just graduated the police academy i'm always talking to him about water safety down there watching these people I said hey look Keenan look he goes I can't believe it they were going on by heading towards the Hollywood rapid and
1: uh, Hollywood rapids a pretty good it's drop it's nine. a it's, huge drop it's, when, and, and when at, when at, at n- 7 feet it's, it's I, I've never run it just because it's that at big at, a
0: drop at 9 it's terrifying they flipped over she got stuck in a strainer he was on top of it. In her story, in her in, her, in the story, she recounted to me where she says well, she's, she breathed underwater. So I guess what she's uh, the sensation she had, she her leg was stuck in a strain. I guess the water was coming at her back. It was probably Preena coming over bark. her head. It was creating an air pocket. For the crown of the back of her head was creating an air pocket that she was breathing in. Um, she managed to get herself loose. But as we looked down, I could see the raft upended. And I kept saying, you know, I wonder if anyone's trapped down there. Because, Robbie, this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Nine foot, eight foot, whatever. They come down, ba ba ba. They fall. They manage to get not not nine foot, but six or seven, where it's rough. They'll manage to get to shore. Then then you see them coming up the trail. So I didn't want to go running down because I'm like, you know, a couple more people, they'll probably get out. Anyway, they didn't. We got down abreast of where they were. I could see that she was trapped, but I keep a rope throw bag with me when I'm down there. But there was no way I could throw it. To, it was too far, and she was trapped. So um, I said to myself, I'm just going to go downstream further. I'll get the board on the side of the of the bank and if she pops loose maybe i can intersect her and get catch her. her when she
1: comes down he down had river.
0: managed to put his life jacket mm-hmm. on boom away they go they start going i launch out i go pull out in front of these trainers i catch this eddy that they got caught in so now they were caught in a hydraulic on the mm-hmm. on the down river side of a rock and he would had a life jacket on he would try to push her head up so she could breathe but it didn't push him down plus the hydraulic was trying to suck them both down at once finally it just spit them out I was able to tell him to not touch the board. and yeah, you were on a uh, stand-up paddle nine board. It's was It's a uh yeah, it's, a, it's in a river paddle board. It's really three feet wide, so it's very, very stable, fortunately. And um, when I got close to her, I, I even when I was like within 10 feet, I thought I wasn't going to be able to get her because she did this odd thing. I could just see how worn out she was because she had been fighting up in that strainer. She was done. She leaned her head back, and she just got her mouth up above the water, and she just looked right at me, and she just said, "Help me." Just really plain and, and softly, wow. yeah. And I and she got to the side of the board. She must have kicked in an extra gear because I grabbed her bikini. He kind of pushed her. She pulled, and she got up on the board, but she wouldn't take her legs up. Um, I had to get her to put her legs up. But when I got her legs up and I started riding, I couldn't. I couldn't believe. It. I couldn't believe that it happened. That, that it, everything worked out the the way it probably. You know, so many things could have gone wrong. You know, and. And I, and, and that river at that level, the, if you do any, um, kayaking at different levels, it changes it so much. It's that volume of water. Mm-hmm. I had never, speed co- and- the speed of it. And I have never caught, co- I have never paddleboarded that section of river at that level because you wouldn't, it's just too dangerous. There's, there's strainers everywhere, but I was used to the speed cause we had been upstream surfing on a, uh, a static wave that's real close to the shore and real safe. If you get spit out, it spits you right back to the shore. Um, so I was used to that speed, um, and getting her up. So then, <laughs> the poor guy he looked bad. He 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 did let go of the board because he would have flipped us. Um, he got caught in a second strainer. After I put her on shore, I was able to go back out, paddle up, Nanny behind him, and he jumped off the strainer and he held on to the back of the board, and I was able to get him to the shore. So, yeah.
1: two rescues with the board. Hey, that's I mean that's scary. I mean I, I haven't been in in some water not that probably not that big, and it's. It's it's attention-keeping. I'm going to tell you something, dude. If you're used to being in the water, now throw in a person who's not used to being in the water
0: and, and a board that's designed for probably one person to be on it. and it's a, There was a point where I was coming towards the shore. that it's, It sounds weird because it was so stressful and it scared me. But in my mind, it's like, I'm doing this, bitch. <laughs> you know, it was this weird. It's like, like I can't. I made it. I'm, I did, because I it. you know what? You finally get to the water, which it's still rough. But it's kind of now I can do it. And it, and the people, my friends were like, dude, that was amazing. And the, you know, I got a, there were 200 witnesses. We got so many nice compliments from people. Listen, and it's really humbling and it's nice. But the best compliment I think I got, and because you know you can't impress these people, these young kids these days, because I'm just an old bald guy. <laughs> and it was this kid came up. He had blue hair. His girlfriend did too. And he just walked up and he goes, dude, that was like a movie. <laughs> and he shook my hand and it was like the thing. I was like, thanks. I was like, thanks little brother. That makes awesome. me feel good. So yeah. And uh, I've been in contact with her a little bit and she wrote her story to me. And you know, the, the fortunate thing that happened to me, and I'll say this up to the firefighting community, Jerry Pruden saw it. And we were in contact, Jerry and I, we text and stuff like that. He called me that night to talk about it. And I needed that man. Yeah. I needed to talk about it and because because I knew as soon as it was over, the biggest thing with me it was same thing after that bridge and same thing after some times in the fire department where just you think to yourself, I'm not gonna like tonight. And because you're gonna be thinking about what could have happened, what could, and you know they do in the PTSD. they listen yep. that's not what happened. Here's what happened. You survived, you're here, now we move on. And that's what was happening to her. So I didn't hear from her for a few days. Then she friended me on Facebook. And then what I did was I waited a little while. I sent her a t- I sent her a, uh, an email. I said, hey, listen, I know what happened to me on that day. Why don't you tell me what happened to you? Dude, it, she pours it out. She, and, she, and then she sent me a second one saying, oh, my God, that feels so good. I've been drunk. So that was her debrief. Yes. She'd been right. going crazy. And I kind of felt it, dude. She goes, listen, I've been thinking about all the – because, listen, she was close, man. She was breathing in the air pocket. One little tweak, and it was over. And, and and you know and and, and and even in her in her in her, e- in her uh, email she said i said to myself certainly i'm not going to drown it's almost you know what i mean like this can't happen to me but but uh yeah Looking so you were back,
1: gonna... that close Jeez. yeah well <laughs> well dude I, I i'm willing to bet that uh let's call it 30 plus years of pt and triathlons and kite surfing and whatever else you know, your gold's gym time you've Put in because I see you wearing a gold chip shirt. Not <laughs> to give is them any
0: Camp Taji Iraq. Oh, there you go, Cam. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's nice it, of you to say, Rob. I appreciate the, that.
1: There's probably not many 59 year olds out there that could uh, <sighs> jump up on a paddleboard and put forth that kind of physical effort to get both of you or all three of you back to shore. So
0: uh, that's nice. What, what do you
1: attribute to that, man? I mean, what? I mean, you're obviously a fit dude still. I, mean, I talked to Terry and Bill, and they had some commentary about you know doing PT in the station as. Uh, Kind of a key to the job, but you're you've been obviously doing something since you since you retired.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I've been uh, less weights, probably more of the paddle boarding, full body, some yoga, a lot of flexibility, and I'm recently doing the Wim Hof method with the cold baths. I, I, I built one for myself to get me through summer, so I have cold water. I mean, nature takes care of that in the winter time, um, but is, you know, I, I it's something I've been thinking about too because um, I don't like, I don't want to die in that river. You know what I mean? Like what, like, that's why that first night I was like very sick to my stomach and I sent you that photo. I have, I have been trapped myself. I sent you a photo earlier and I, and I don't know. I I guess, I guess, I I guess I'll just know that I shouldn't go out there, you know, if if, if it does happen again. But I think maybe for a lot of us, uh, firefighters are going to act. I think most of us, you know, and then you said something, I, I have this combination of things that all come into play, but, yeah, as we both know, this this guys out there would have paid to be there. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Not on that day, yeah. you know what I mean? They would have. They really would have. And we've seen we've seen some pretty heroic acts in Chesterfield Fire Department. You know over the years that uh, fellows have received uh, the Medal of Valor for. And I guess, you know, it's kind of one of those things that like, you hear something, the thing I take away from this, he goes, man, what were you thinking? It's like, oh, I wasn't was thinking, because if I would have been thinking, I wouldn't have done that, yeah. you know? You know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like right. these guys in the UFC, they're like, of course, I'm not. Th- yeah, th- yeah, yeah. if I'm thinking, I'm not, do- I'm not doing if this. If I think about this, I'll <laughs> never get in that. Yeah, I'm never I'll gonna go get I'll in that right. Really. <laughs> Right. yeah so i don't know i, I people say they, they they were they were fortunate i was there that day i guess i guess i was i guess they were i guess i was too to, to to get to get to be there and to to see it all go down but it's going to happen a lot There's it is a lot of carelessness you know at the river at the, yeah. and all all bodies of water you know so i think we
1: call that job security back that's it run, run isn't that trucks? what we call,
0: yeah. jerry 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 pruden had a good one the other day it's like we say to somebody after a bag, thanks for leaving a scar on my mind. You're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. People just thanks for leaving that scar on my mind.
1: Well, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. We can dive into about the you know post-traumatic stress. Well, Not that I, I may mean, have had that kind of touching on that conversation here with a few people. And uh, have you? Yeah. Just kind yeah. of brushing over
0: it. And, yeah. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, which, what, which, which particular episodes for, for the people listening maybe. And also for me, I'd um, like to can uh, you, the, if you can remember off the yeah, top, you I link forget it. the numbers, but okay. uh, one uh, of the, one I of the, I the, think I'd like to, one
1: have. of the, I guess the one we delved into it the yeah. most was, uh, the one with the jujitsu guys, uh, the crew I trained jujitsu with There's yeah. a, you know, was a DC firefighter, there's a Henrico firefighter and a Chester okay. firefighter yeah. and, and myself that kind of talked about that and what, you know, I, I've been away from the job now for four and a half years, right. um, 12. Yeah. So it's, yeah, well, you've well, been away from the job <laughs> a couple of weeks from my perspective, because you went into it here a few weeks ago, but, uh, you know, just talking about what, what, what. Critical incident stress is today what the teams are like, how it's being deployed in the in the business. Yeah, um, Jesse Huckins, who was one of the guys I trained jujitsu with, and uh, he he talks about getting on that peer uh, debriefing team and what they're doing with it, and uh, you know, how much jujitsu plays in some of that. You know, it's it's that escape from the workplace, you know, and having that family. I mean, we we've been on the mats over there, and you know, just had a quick conversation about something that happened in their work. You know, I don't do that crap anymore, routinely anyway, but, hey, man, I ran this call the other day. And and it's nothing more than sharing it with somebody who understands. And, uh, you know, having having that conversation and – doing that data dump whether it's on a jiu-jitsu mat or a formal critical incident stress debriefing or peer counseling or that's the, whatever the next level of that is.
0: Getting rid of it. Yeah. And that's what her she kept carrying. She goes, oh my God, I feel so good to get rid of this. Yeah, that's impressive. And I told her, I said, yeah, I'm glad. I got, But I felt weird. I'm like, this is kind of strange. I haven't really heard anything from her, you know. And then, it sent me to that one, and then then the secondary one was so nice. But I'd like to, I'd like to, I, I guess, just like everything in the fire service, uh, the, the critical incident stress debriefing has probably come a long way as well. Yeah. I and mean, they probably change. Although I was pretty happy with it back back yeah. in the day.
1: I think it changes and it evolves and it gets better from what I mean. Every time they something happens, we go, okay, how can we do this better the next time? And as long as we keep that kind of mentality up of doing it better for the right reasons, I think uh, I think things will get better. Yeah, I think you're right. So uh, we're plus an hour and 10 minutes or so. Um, What, uh, you know, years in the fire service, years in the fire contracting service, years or a couple of episodes in the recreational (laughs) realm of rescuing people. Uh, If you got a chance to talk to a recruit school today, uh, what kind of advice do you think you'd give them to keep their careers
0: uh, can I tell happy. you what? Can I tell you what Matt Myers gave me? Sure. The advice he gave me as a rookie. Did, I, did Matt, I send this to?
1: you? No, I don't know. Maybe you did. I <laughs> it's did good. That's it. another yeah. one I want to get it, on here it, one day. Oh, I'd
0: love that. Yeah. I want to. I want to be here. Oh, when yeah. he <clears throat> and you know what? In, in that vein, like, stay up till four a.m. And talk to your fellow firefighters in the bunk in a bunk room you ever remember doing that like yeah, oh, a long yeah. Co- matt myers would be one of those guys i'd be it'd be it'd be like four he's like man we gotta go to sleep but you know what i mean be close like that it would would, would would be great advice but that's not the advice he gave me that's just what he did but he said you know what you do always walk around with a clipboard Look <laughs> <laughs> <It> looked busy <laughs> he goes he goes and a broom <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, the other one is a rag in your pocket so
1: it looks like your that was matt yeah he goes
0: and he going it worked yep. that keeps you out of trouble now. No, hey, but,
1: hey what are you doing i'm cleaning something here chief It's
0: i'd be we should come up with the top 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 10 thing worst uh, worst advice you can give to a rookie or they come up with the top 10 best yeah. but uh, i'm sure you heard some good ones yeah uh, from from some guys but i don't I, you know i to me i would just say uh so Gus Grissom said to the uh, said to the contractors building those rockets, all yeah. those pieces supplied, supplied by the lowest well, bidder. Yeah. He said, "Do good work. That's it. <laughs> you know, just do a good job. Be thorough when you when you go to work. Remember, this is you know, it's a fun job, but it is your job. Check the apparatus, check the equipment, and uh, you know, take care of each other in that department. And and, and you know what? And and just always have fun because it is it's a fun job, isn't it? Yeah. And I, it goes I, by
1: in a. Blink of an eye.
0: It, that's the other thing, you guys. i got eight years left. I'm like, eight years? Dude, listen, if I was you, I'd just start slowing down and just enjoying it because you, you're going to miss your – and that's the thing about – well, not not so much in Afghanistan, but when I went to Iraq, I hadn't been a firefighter since 2012. I thought I would never, ever be a firefighter again. And I'm going to tell you that when it hit me so nice, I loved it. I felt so good. When you got back at the When I got to back zero. to Iraq, the very first morning, I, I was checking out the SCBAs. And I went, man, I was back. firing them up. You know, I put the mask on, breathe a little, make sure. Make, you know, it just, felt, it just felt good to be checking out that equipment again. Now, now, however, it is over. Unless, of course, they offer a $12,000 a month <laughs> yeah, contract that, that somewhere. Twelve dollars a month. No, price they, up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go again. Yeah, uh, go. But I enjoyed the talk, Robbie. Yeah, thank man, thank you here, for Bryce. inviting it's me. And, catching uh, up, man. We, hadn't, yeah, we yeah. probably
1: hadn't seen you. I know I hadn't probably hadn't seen you since you left. It's been to, a long uh, time. Yeah, it's been a long time. And we didn't bring up the, the uh,
0: Speedo. No. So, uh, <laughs> that's so good though, man. Hey, you gotta fly your freak flag. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's hey, it. And just think how much faster you probably went wearing it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Just running away from people trying to run away from people with cameras is what I was doing.
0: It's <laughs> <That's Yeah. that's laughs> actually kind of a blurry picture, so you might have been moving quick yeah, when I snapped it. <laughs>
1: as fast as I could. So uh, hey Brian Rothell, man, yeah, thanks uh well, thanks thank for your you, time. Robbie. I appreciate you coming by and yeah, uh um, sharing the stories. And uh take care, man. Let's go to the riverside. Yeah, we'll do it. Thanks again to Brian and thanks for everybody for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, make sure if you've got any comments or suggestions, drop me a note at firehouselogbook at gmail.com. And make sure you follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for any updates. Just also a quick note, uh, there was an Instagram spoofer out there. So if you are following along on Instagram, make sure you follow the accurate and most up-to-date Firehouse Logbook Podcast on Instagram. That handle is at FD Logbook Podcast. That's it. There's no numbers. There's no other names associated with it. So uh, make sure you've got the correct Instagram account and follow along. <laughs>